Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Outdoors Podcast. Joining me on the show today is another professional fly fishing guide. That's right in the series of interviews that I'm doing this year with a whole bunch of different fly fishing guides from around the country. John Legau from Arc Anglers in Buena Vista, Colorado is joining me on the podcast today. A personal recommendation from my good buddy James down at About Trout in northern New Mexico. This was a fantastic conversation. We talked about John's background as a whitewater rafting guide and whitewater rafting enthusiast, how that parlayed into a career as a professional fly fishing angler. We talked about the Arkansas River and some of the gear and tactics that are really critical on such a unique waterway and how that water differentiates from some of the other rivers that we're more familiar with maybe uh, in Colorado and as well as what John does throughout the rest of his year uh, when he's not guiding, which is travel fishing all over the world. We talked about tiger fishing in Cuba and Mexico and all kinds of really cool places. So definitely an exciting episode. Let's jump right in. We're slightly above everybody else on the intellectual <laughs> scale, I think. Altitude sickness is no joke. Once it gets below zero, it's cold. There are a lot less sportsmen now than there were, say, 20 years ago. You're actually, you were used as a pawn okay. in our game to figure out what it was that we were doing wrong. You know, at that point, we didn't have one great tent. Like, we had one good tent and one not good tent. <laughs> yeah. Wind was just whipping. Uh, there was, like, snow BBs <laughs> just, like, pelting the face. <laughs> All right, John, we are live, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks, AJ. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to be here. All right. So, John, uh, before we get into anything, tell everybody uh, who you are, where you work, what you do, and, you know, kind of how they would get a hold of you. Because you're a fly fishing guide. We're going to talk about your career. But first, from the jump, uh, where do you work? What do you do? And, and how do people get a hold of you? Yeah. So, uh, I am located, I live in Buena Vista, Colorado, which is in Chippewa County. Um, and I work for Arc Angler Fly Shop, which is based out of mostly Salida, and we do run some, you know, wade trips and some boat trips, depending on the time of year, up in Buena Vista, um, and I guide also on the Gunnison Gorge with Black Canyon Angler. Uh, man, I usually get about 120 days a year in Colorado guiding, and uh, the rest of the year, I'm usually guiding dog sledding trips until I can get back on the river. Dude, that's wild. We'll dip into that a little bit if we get kind of towards the end of the conversation. We'll come back to that. That's freaking amazing. I didn't even know that about you. Uh, And basically, (laughs) that's awesome, man. That's really cool. So the way that I got to you, John, as you know, we were kind of chatting a little bit off air. Uh, My buddy James Garrettson from About Trout, uh, fly fishing guide on the San Juan amongst other rivers in kind of northern New Mexico. At the end of our conversation, I was like, hey, man, who's somebody else that I should know? Who's another cool guide out there that's covering some really cool water and doing good stuff? And he was like, dude, you got to call John. John's the man. He's awesome guide in Colorado. Definitely someone you should talk to. So you and I have actually been kind of going back and forth for quite some time. We finally figured out. So I'm super pumped to have you on the show. Uh, and, awesome. you know, it's it's really cool because hilariously – Uh, And I don't even know if I really have kind of explained this to you. My wife and I uh, got married this summer in Colorado. We're from St. Louis. And we've got this 30-foot-long, 30-year-old RV that we kind of slowly renovated over time. It's this, like, piece of junk, but we love it. It's called Doris. And (laughs) we, we cruised through Colorado, like, basically for the majority of the summer. 
and kind of into the early fall. We got married there in Boulder, and then we cruised through the rest of the state, just like exploring, having fun, kind of testing out the bus. And uh, we were cruising down from, you know, Silverthorne. We came through Leadville and then through Buena Vista. And we had no idea that Salida was going to strike us the way that it did. Like, we didn't really know it existed. And yeah, no, we, I, I feel yeah. We 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 camped in. I want to say it was either BLM land or National Forest. Forgive me for not re- remembering. Just north of Salida, south of Buena Vista. I want to say it's Niwot, or is it Niwot? Is it Nathrop? Uh, yeah, yeah, in Nathrop. Sorry, sorry, in, Nathrop. in the Nathrop yep. area. That's basically just in between kind of Buena Vista and Salida. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we 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 camped kind of just remotely there uh, for a few days, and we dipped down into Salida and just kind of walked around, and we were like, man, this place is awesome. And yeah. of all of the places that we went in Colorado, we went to some incredible towns, you know, ski towns and, and more rural places. Salida just really struck us, and of all the places that we're thinking about potentially moving my wife and I are, are packing up and, and moving out of town, you know, coming up in like the next month or so, uh, and traveling for an indefinite period of time until we figure out where we want to live. Uh, we just know like St. Louis has served its purpose, but we're going to get out of here. And so Salida is like the one town that's on the list of where we might actually want to go live. So super (laughs) cool to get to meet you and like get to kind of pick your brain about the area because I really want to get a lot more versed in the part of the country where you live and kind of spend your time. So, you know, John, I know what brought you to Colorado. I think you were probably somewhere around 19 years old, if I've kind of read your background correctly. Yep. yep. You basically moved to Colorado to become a, a, a whitewater rafting guide. Is that correct? Yeah, I kind of basically moved to Colorado just because I was obsessed with whitewater paddling. Um, you know, I I was a C1 paddler, which most people won't even know what that is, but basically it's like paddling a canoe, but you use a kayak. Kind of a weird thing. You're either from Minnesota or like the, you know, Northeast or the Southeast to do it. Um, But that's what brought me here. And I originally moved to Steamboat Springs. And and then after living there for a while, I was like, well, if I want to keep doing this whitewater thing, maybe I should try to go make some money, you know, doing it. That way I can be right on the river and after work, uh, you know, I can be working on the river and then after work I can go and run the stuff that we don't raft. Um, and so I moved to BV in 2011 and just as like a rookie raft guide, I obviously had like a lot of paddling kayak kind of experience, um, but just kind of moved on a whim um, being like, well, I'll just do this for a couple of years and, you know, see where it takes me. <laughs> what kind of support did you get from your family for this kind of career path? Were they, were they fairly supportive or did you get kind of resistance to going kind of this route? No, not at all, man. My parents have been honestly probably my biggest like, you know, cheering section through all of it. I, I sometimes joke and like I blame my parents that I do this because we just live such an active like outdoor lifestyle um, as kids. And, you know, I don't know. My parents never really like cared as much about money. Um, they just kind of cared more about like wilderness experiences and just enjoying life. So they've been super, super supportive. I mean, Trust me, when I was like running 30 foot waterfalls and all over the country and traveling international, the paddle class five, my mom was like, just don't show me pictures. But, you know, we always support what you want to do. Dude, that's so, rad. 
Yeah, they've always been really supportive, which which I feel really, really fortunate because there's a lot of guides that I've gotten to know over the years that their families don't agree with um, their lifestyle. Um, so I just, I feel super fortunate, but there are, you know, so many guides that, you know, have to battle that too, as well as just making a career for themselves, like without having some family support. So for sure, for sure. I mean, I did find some hilarious, like old video of you paddling in the style that you're talking about, like C1 style paddling with a, a single paddle canoe paddle, but in a kayak. And I was like, what the hell is, I'd never seen anything like that. So that's native kind of Minnesotan stuff. You know, like it's probably like more popular in the South. Uh, There's so much paddling down there, but it's still like so weird. I mean, it just is. Sometimes I'm like, why did I ever do that? You know, just because it is quirky. Um, But Minnesota, yeah, it is like a lot of people open canoe up there which is like kind of more old school, longer canoe, but still run a lot of whitewater. And then as I progressed in the sport and then eventually kind of like moved to Colorado where we have a lot of bigger water, the closed cockpit was just so much more practical. And I've just, I grew up canoeing. My parents brought me on my first Boundary Waters canoe trip when I was 18 months old. So the canoe paddle just felt more comfortable than a kayak paddle, to tell you the truth. That makes sense, man. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's, totally. Uh, your parents sound like some pretty rad people. I, I would like to get to know them someday. They sound really cool. Um, yeah, they are. I feel super fortunate to have them. And so. I know that you, you know, kind of fished from an early age and have been fly fishing kind of longer than a lot of folks probably have that, that listen to this podcast. Um, you know, you started kind of on the warm water stuff and then eventually, obviously, you're, you're guiding career as far as whitewater guiding, you know, ended or transitioned at least into more of a fly fishing guiding career, you know, what kind of spurred that transition and, you know, what was, what was the force that kind of kept you in fly fishing long enough that, that made you want to make that, that change? Yeah, for sure. AJ. I mean, I think the biggest thing I've just always loved fishing and, you know, as I got into like my like late teens I was kind of like the adrenaline junkie and like I still always fish when I'd go home with my parents and I always fish when I lived in you know steamboat and and I was always fishing but the biggest transition was like kind of realizing I didn't even know that that existed like float fishing down a you know like we're, we're like running class two and three every day on the Arkansas so I was like one I think it was like one of my first or second days and we were putting on for like rookie raft guide training and I saw one of the Arc Anglers guides, who now I work for, um, putting in. And I was like, man, he's going to go and run, like, some pretty sweet rapids and he gets to fish? Like, that <laughs> sounds amazing. You know, like, I was like, it was like the aha moment, you know. And then I was like, man, and they get to work. Like, we just have a longer season than all the rafting, too, because, you know, I'm running the river even right now. I guided yesterday. I guided in January out of a boat here. Um so, you know, if you, once you get better at low water and get the right boats and stuff, we, now I realize I can run the river like year round. I remember a lot of times, you know, kayak, kayaking season would be over and like the river's coming down and I'd be like, oh man, I'm bored. And that's kind of what kind of really got the fishing addiction back was like, well, I live here full time and, you know, kayaking season's over. I might as well pick up the fly rod. And then I was like, oh man, I can like get my whitewater fixed as well as, you know, go fish down one of the most beautiful freestone rivers probably in the world. So. For sure, man. I mean, 
there's not a lot of people that get to experience the kind of landscape that you do every day in your profession. I mean, that's pretty wild. You know, one thing I kind of heard you say, you, you know, you get the right boats and that you know, kind of right equipment. What kind of boat is kind of ideal for the water that you guide on and for kind of the, the landscape that you're operating in? Yeah, for sure. We all run, um, you know, I own a drift boat. I keep it up in Minnesota um, for when I go up there and fish with my family and friends up there, but we all run rafts here. Um, and we have a, a actually really great uh, frame builder here in Colorado, two of them in Colorado, one in Denver, one in, in Salida. And so they kind of outfit our rafts so that you can lean into them and, you know, uh, you're not falling out of the boat as you're bumping through a class two rapid. Um, so I use, I'd say the boat I use the most is like, a, I just have an older, I've had it forever, um, a 14 foot NRS boat which is really good when the water's higher and you have like big rapids that are honestly like splashing over the boat in people's laps. Um, and then this time of year when it's lower, I actually just recently bought a super Puma, um, which is just a smaller boat. It's 13 feet and I think like five, eight wide. So it's just a little stealthier, but like I wouldn't bring that down some of our whitewater sections, you know, in the waters above like, Five six hundred, just because it's more comfortable in a bigger boat with my clients. So, I run two. Most of our guides don't. Most of our guides run, you know, thirteen and fourteen, kind of just the standard like raft guide style boat, but just outfitted with, um, you know, like deckings for people to stand on and lean bars and all that good stuff. For sure, for sure. So you know, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. For sure, it's different. Yeah, I mean, I you know, honestly, I think one of the things that I really learned from James in some of my conversations is that, you know, there's not one perfect boat for all applications. You just kind of have to go with what works for your water, for your landscape, for your terrain. And, you know, it sounds exactly, you know, for lower waters and for things like that, it, the rafts make all the sense in the world. I mean, that's, you know, kind of common common sense stuff. Uh, one of my totally. buddies did ask a question, you know, I kind of hit up some of my fishing friends and we're oh, like, cool. Hey man, cool. if, yeah, if yeah. you're going to get the chance to talk to a, a, you know, a lifetime fly fishing guide, what questions would you ask? And one of my buddies, sure. Frank, uh, basically said, you know, Colorado's had historic droughts and, you know, kind of issues with heat over the summers and you've got low waters kind of lower and lower as, as time goes on. It, how are you guys kind of changing the way that you do things or have you guys changed anything and, you know, how are you responding and is it having an effect kind of on the way that you fish and or the business that you guys are able to, you know, to push? Yeah, for sure. No, that's a great question. Um, we're really fortunate on the Arkansas. We have like a voluntary flow program, which is through the HRA, um, which basically means that, uh, usually like once high water happens, which is usually starting like end of May into June, after that we get 500 CFS through the river until August 15th. And that's because the Arkansas is probably one of the most commercially rafted, you know, just for pure whitewater fun rivers in the world. Um, the other thing that's really unique about our area is, as you saw when you were here, is our river drops a lot of gradient. So yeah. we just don't, you know, and we're always taking water temperatures as, as guides. And, you know, we've had years, uh, not every year, um, just because we do also get like, you know, some big rains and stuff and just cloudy times where the river doesn't get hot. But, you know, we just tell clients like, hey, it might be better to book a half day today and let's go out in the morning. Or if you still want to do a full day, let's meet early. 
you know, let's get on the water a little bit earlier and get off later um, just to protect that, you know, our fish. But like I said, we just don't see the water temperatures like the Colorado, um, you know, in some of those other areas, the Gunnison even sometimes, just because our river is so steep, if that makes sense, like gradient just, you know, makes the water more turbulent and keeps the fish well oxygenated where they're just not like sitting in stagnant pools. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, quite honestly, uh, when we were out in Colorado, we were supposed to fish with a guide on the Colorado and timing just worked out where the temperatures had gotten to a point where it just probably wasn't going to be realistic. And so we were going to have to make some serious adjustments and make some like pretty serious drive times uh, to get to areas that we could go, you know, you know, kind of ethically fish. And, you know, obviously respected all the decisions, completely made our, our minds, you know, differently because of, of such, um, was, was on their side, you know, completely making the right decisions. Uh, but it affected totally. our yeah. ability to, you know, because we were moving across the state in kind of a pattern. Unfortunately, we didn't get to stay and fish with that guide. And so, you know, it presented some scheduling challenges, which is really great that you don't run into some of those same issues. Oh, totally. A hundred percent. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm always talking with our anglers about is, you know, like we have no problems booking trips in July and August, but the river does get like, you know, warmer then. And, and like I said, we do have some of those shutoffs, but you know, we, a big part of our season too is, um, you know, the spring and the fall, which is awesome because we have like, we just have cold water here. It's amazing. Um, but you know, I think in general in Colorado, so many guides, uh, you know, that are guiding professionally, we all work for really good outfitters too. And, you know, it's, it's a huge group of us and we're all there to be like, Oh, what was the water temperature today at this point? And, you know, are you just going to do a half day? Like we all meet in the parking lot. That's one of the things I really love about, you know, working for a, you know, a larger company um, because guys are always checking each other and making sure that we're doing the right thing. And I think that Colorado has a lot of that, you know, we're, we're always protecting our fish. And if that means we have to get to the boat ramp at, you know, five thirty in the morning and then end at noon, then so be it. <laughs> we'll still go fishing, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's ultimately what it's about. You know, it was funny because, you know, the way we got into fishing, my uh father in law, my my wife's father has been trout fishing at like trout parks in Missouri for twenty plus, thirty years, something like that. Uh and invited us to go down and then, you know, we were just doing kind of like treble hooks with, you know, dough bait and doing a lot of harvesting which is what those trout parks are set up for in Missouri. And totally. then all of a sudden you start going into, you know, fly fishing shops and then you start to kind of take a different angle towards conservation. Maybe now all of a sudden I'm starting to do like brown trout planting projects with vibbert egg boxes. And it just, it takes you through this wild, you know, kind of evolution of getting to a particular place And it's really cool, like, when guides are working together to, like, ultimately produce the best results for not only their clients, but obviously the ecosystems that they participate in. You know, I I asked James something about, you know, the fact, do you ever harvest fish? And he was like, dude, I don't eat my business partners. And (laughs) I was like, that makes a lot of sense, man. I totally get that. And so... You know, he goes, don't get me wrong, like, if I'm down in the salt somewhere and we catch some, like, really cool, you know, fish that's got really prevalent species and uh, numbers and all those kinds of things, like, and we can cook that 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 fish, then, yeah, like, we're probably going to do something like that, but it's not, we're not going to make a habit of it. And so, yeah, it's, no, totally. it's really cool, like, you know, the fact that you as guides and as outfitters are really, 
you know, obviously it's a huge factor in the way that you make your living, but the fact that that's just baked into the way that you do business is, is awesome. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, like Colorado is experiencing more drought and stuff. And so it's like, obviously we want our rivers to still be here and be healthy and the fish happy. And like, we, you know, we're obviously, it's our livelihood too. If there's no happy fish, then there's no happy clients. For sure. So, um, but yeah, that's a great question. So speaking of happy clients, like what is kind of your wheelhouse ideal client? I mean, who do you really love to fish with? And I mean, obviously you're going to, you know, fish with a wide range of people and you're not going to like, you know, shun anyone particular, but you know, in an ideal world, who are the people that really kind of get you jazzed up when you know you're going out with that kind of client? Yeah. I was, I think about that all the time just cause I feel like that's kind of a, a newer question that people are asking is like the same thing with on the last podcast, when you had the podcast with James of like, what can I do to be a good client? Um, and to tell you the truth, I think just showing up with a really positive attitude and like one of the hardest things about being a guide is like the pressure of putting people on as many fish as they want, you know, and some clients show up and they're like, man, if we just catch some fish and have a good day, I'm happy. And I'm, then I'm like instantly like, Oh, this is going to be a great day. You know what I mean? Because the saying at our guide shop is, you know, we're called guides, not God. So we can't control every factor, but like, let's be honest, anything in life, if you have a positive attitude going into it and you're just like, we're, you know, I'm going to work like my clients that routinely fish with me a lot. And I have a lot of repeats clients these days, which is awesome. I get to fish with people like, you know, almost every week during certain periods of time wow. on the Arkansas. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, Denver's there too. So we get a lot of people from Denver coming down and they're like, yeah, I'm going to fish all spring, you know, once a week with you. And everybody's a little different, you know, but like I said, just that positive attitude and, and just like you're trusting your guide. Like, trust me, I'm trying my hardest to put you on as many fish as possible because I want to catch fish too. And I know that that makes it a better day, but also like focusing on like, you know, let's enjoy some scenery and just like, we're, we're lucky too, because we have some rapids like on every section. So it's like, Hey, take a moment, sit down, you know, we're not fishing. We're going to go through this cool rapid, you know? So just people that enjoy that the, the whole day, you know, um, no matter if we catch 60 fish or we catch, you know, three fish, they're just happy. And they know that, that I'm doing as much as I can to catch fish. I mean, I love, I love catching fish. I, I always have, you can ask my dad. It's like, I was the kid that was like one more cast, one more cast, one more cast. That's my buddy, you know? Frank. Absolutely. There's days, there's and, long days in the water where I'm like, all right, man, let's get back to the truck. And he's like, well, let's just take two more casts at this last pool. And yeah, then there's totally. seven more casts and 12 more casts. And I'm like, all right, dude, we got to roll. And he's just like, yeah, just, just, just like two more casts. Um, totally. I think the other thing too, AJ is like, and you, and I, I feel like so many guides say this is just like <clears throat> having realistic, realistic, like expectations with your abilities you know our fly shop does such a good job booking trips if if the guy doesn't know the client of being like what are you expecting from this trip you know what is your skill level what's going to make this a good day for you and they always pass that on you know to the guide like as much as they can and so just being realistic like you know like i do a lot of uh, you know travel fishing it's like i know that i might go to Cuba or Mexico for like a week and, and maybe not catch a permit. And it's not, it's nobody's fault. It's just fishing, you know? 
So, so kind of without roasting your clients per se, uh, how yeah, yeah, accurate totally. are people at representing their skill level? Like when people say they're a six, how often are they a four? Right. Is that you know, pretty it, common it always, or are people like pretty accurate and humble with who they are? I think the most common thing, and like I think James even touched on this and I was laughing when I was listening to the podcast is like, you know, I'm 34 years old. I probably fish 200 to 250 days a year. And like you get a lot of people that are like, oh, I've been fly fishing for 30 years, you know? And you're like, well, you've been doing one guided trip for 30 years. <laughs> right. So, and like, who, you know, like every guy's trying their, their hard as they can, but it's like, you never know where they fished. I mean, we get a, a lot of people that, you know, fish like some of the tailwaters that's like really technical nymphing. And then they come over here and it's like, all right, we're going to throw drives today. And they're like, we hate throwing drives. And I'm like, well, that's because you never throw drives. Like, <laughs> you know, like, why did you choose the Arkansas if you didn't want to throw drives and dry dropper? Like, that's just what we do. Yeah, that's you a know? big part so of I think just having, river. like, like people just don't, like, yeah, you're right. People a lot of times, and sometimes, to tell you the truth, I've got some clients that are, you know, into their mid-70s that come and they're like, oh, you know, I've been fly fishing, blah, 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 blah. And then you fish with them and you're like, dude, you're better than I am. Like... <laughs> This is amazing. Just like so, those old guys it, on the golf course that you know aren't going to totally. hit it very far, but they just pure it down the middle every single time and they can putt their ass off. Those yeah, guys are hard to I've beat. Got, I've got so many clients like that that are like, you know, the old heads of fly fishing that are just so modest. And like, that's like such a fun surprise when you're like, oh my God, you're amazing. Like, uh, uh, this is going to be like, going fishing with myself in the front of the boat or something, you know, they just have that like intuition with guides and a lot of them have been going on guided trips a long time. And so they, they get the whole game with the guide, especially out of the boat. Like we're positioning you where to cast. That's the other thing that, you know, can irk you is where people just like think they know more than you. And you're like, dude, I've been rowing the Arkansas for a long time. Like this isn't, the Bighorn, you know, they're totally different. This isn't the San Juan. It's they're totally different rivers. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the funny things that I've always said about Colorado and one of the things that I love so much about that state or really just any place with big mountains is that it reminds you how small you are and how insignificant you are and how easily <laughs> the world can just swallow you and make you disappear. And totally. it humbles you, right? Like in a very important way. And I would imagine spending, you know, time on whitewater rivers does the same because it you're always in a position where you have to respect, you know, the surroundings more than try to, you know, pump up your own ego. So uh, totally. it's a healthy place to live, man. I'm glad that you get to spend your time in a state like that because uh, I think it's it's really good for mental health. Oh, for sure. I mean, I see. I've got friends that have been just, you know, guiding rap trips or I've got guides that have been guiding on the, I mean, I work with guys all the time that they're like, I've been guiding longer than you've been alive on this river. And they're, they're, they're totally not lying. You know, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I was born in 87 and you started in 86. That's pretty crazy. And they, I think people like, I know all, most of our guides that are anglers were, you know, professional, like white water raft guides for a long time on this river. And you just fall in love with it. I mean, there's something special about moving down such a fast paced river and like blending, you know, your white water. And we've got plenty of sections that don't have like crazy white water, but every section has some good rapids, you know, 
and I think you're right. Like that adds to just like, it just makes you feel good, man. That moving water. For sure. So, I mean, obviously it changes from like different part of the season to different part of the season, but you know, for the, for the clients that are, you know, going to come out and fish with you, what is kind of a typical day on the water, you know, the schedule and the kind of fishing that they're going to be doing, the, the kind of rigging that you're doing, does it change significantly throughout the season or are you kind of uh, keeping the same general vibe throughout the year and just kind of going with, uh, you know, what works, you know, what you know what works? Totally. Yeah, to tell you the truth, most people that guide on this river and, and spend their life on this river really enjoy, like, either dry fly fishing. Obviously, we can't do that all the time, but we have a good long portion, you know, through the spring and, and fall and summer is awesome. But then dry dropper fishing, like we don't have a, you know, our river does have some huge deep holes and stuff, but when you're moving so quickly down the river, a lot of us throw dry dropper or like, you know, sometimes you'll throw like a semi deep, like I hardly ever throw split shot on this river, you know what I mean? So it's, it's more kind of just on the fly fishing through the boat. So dry dropper, like most of our guides throw a chubby because it floats really high, like a chubby Chernobyl and it floats high and you can throw some nymphs if you want to underneath it. But, you know, we deal like if you were throwing a big nymph rig all the time, you'd be losing flies like crazy. I always joke. I'm like, I bet we lose more flies than most guides because we just can't stop. Like if you get snagged, we're like, sorry, we're in a class one or two rapid right now. <laughs> yeah. There's no stopping, man. Point that rod and break it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That makes so. a lot of sense, man. I mean, you know, it's it absolutely applies. You know, I have this. It You know, I'm not the first person to go with this, so I'm no, you know, pioneer by all means i'm a moron when it comes to fly fishing but i basically <laughs> fish 12 patterns and it's not because uh they're you know brilliant but it's because it keeps my decision making simple because i i can get you know bored down with like you know oh my god am i matching the pat you know the hatch exactly perfectly do i have oh god the right color so i just go with like the most classic patterns you know, totally. Prince Nymphs and Pheasant Tails and yeah, Copper Johns and the man. shit that works. <laughs> and then, you know, Pheasant Tails and, uh, or not Pheasant Tails, but, you know, Elk Hair Caddis and Parachute, like this simple stuff. And Chubbies are like right in that wheelhouse of just classic flies that are really never going to let you down. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the most unique, like we always joke about it in the shop. We're like, when are these fish not going to eat a Chubby? But it's just like on our river, it's, they're so opportunistic because it's such a fast, I mean, it's a whitewater river, right? Like, so we all just do it. Like the chubby is great because it, you can get a long drift from the boat and the fish eat it. You know, we always are like, when are they going to be sick of the chubby? But they just never are. For you sure. Know? And then also just dry fly fishing, you know, like I, I love dry fly fishing. I love clients that show up and they're like, I'd rather catch, six fish on a dry fly than 40 fish on a nymph, you know, and I'm not against nymphs. I, I probably mostly dry dropper fish because it's productive and, you know, um, but a lot of clients that show up and they're like, we just want to throw dries all day. Even if we don't see a fish, I'm like, yep, I'm in <laughs> because it's just to see that eat when you're moving so quickly down a river and you put it into the right pocket or like, you know, underneath the tree when the caddis are popping and a fish eats it, it's just, it's just it's awesome especially you know i love boat fishing too like that's a whole nother thing of like we do wade fishing and i just mostly do boat fishing because i love the like team flow of a boat you know one or two anglers you got the guide everybody's 
you know, they see a fish come up and eat the dry or smash a huge chubby, and it's just like the whole boat erupts. I mean, it's awesome. It definitely feels like more of a team effort. You know, I mean, the guide's netting the fish, and they're really kind of putting you in the lanes and giving you such, you know, kind of poignant advice as it happens. I haven't had the opportunity to fish with a ton of guides yet, but uh, the few that I have, it's just been a fantastic day. You learn a ton uh, you know, my buddy Jack gave me great advice. He's like, dude, if you're not asking questions all day, if you're not trying to, you know, ask the guy to show you how he's rigging things, if you're not watching him tie his knots, uh, you're wasting your day. And so oh, I really, 100%. you know, I really took that to, to heart and asked James tons of questions and I've asked Augie tons of questions and, you know, I intend on doing that with all the guides that I fish with moving forward. And so it's, it's really cool to hear, you know, that you kind of have that same mentality of like, you know, really wanting to put people in the right position, but also kind of teach them as they go. Speaking of like, what kind of advice or what kind of, of coaching do you find yourself doing most often with kind of the average angler? Like what is the stuff that the average angler needs the most work on when they come and fish with you? Yeah, I think the the first one that comes to ha- to my mind is um, we are we have such a fast moving river that I I'm always and all the guides at our company are always like fish in the future, fish downstream, you know, lead the boat because we're we're trying as hard as we can to slow the boat down for you, but like on our river, you know, you get one shot, and if you're not like fishing 45 degrees downstream, that shot's over really quickly. You know, I think um, a lot of like people that come from wade fishing. Uh, struggle with that because they're always fishing behind the boat but our current's so fast that like you can't get a good men and that would probably be the next thing is like i think so many people practice their cast and practice their cast or have a cast and they just they're like well i can cast a fly but they don't spend any time learning to mend and when you're fishing on our river there might be a spot where i want you to hit the bank and there's three big boulders or maybe not big boulders but you get what i'm saying yeah. where there's three different you know how many different current lines. And if you don't know how to properly mend, even if we're throwing the biggest chubby ever with as much floating arm as possible, you're going to sink that fly instantly. And then you're going to miss that opportunity. Mending is so huge. I mean, on any river when you're, you know, drifting from a boat mending, but especially ours. Um, Another one is uh, I always, you know, critique people. Like when we're fishing from the boat, I tell them, you know, don't be scared to fish a little closer to the boat and just learn that high stick. You know, it's kind of like the Euro nymphing now of like, you know, just making sure that you get a good drift from the boat, um, which is totally different than weight fishing. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. You know, it's, it's funny as I kind of liken mending to putting in golfing, right? Like everybody wants to work on their drive. Everybody, when they go to the driving range, wants to just like let the big dog eat. And everybody wants to be able to cast like 80 feet and just bomb, you know, flies. But most of the time you're catching fish like 10, 20, 30 feet from the boat. You're not like bombing, you know, unless you're just throwing huge streamers somewhere. Um, So it's, it's, that's so like true on our river and we're a a pretty small river you know it's not like a huge yeah it's not it's not giant but even then it's like sometimes people i'm like fish closer to the boat fish closer to the boat like you're just not getting you know big joke that we have as guides when we're talking about like fly selection is you'll float by another guy and you'll be like hey man what's working and they're like a good drift you know (laughs) yeah that's that's what it is like you can throw whatever fly you want but it has to be presented well and it can be tough you know, um, 
on our river. I see a lot of times we're like rookie rowers or, you know, people that are just getting into, we get a lot of private boaters. And um, I just noticed that they're, they're just not slowing the boat down enough for people to even get adrift. You know, we have so many microcurrents underneath the water that it's like, even though your dry fly, your indicator looks like it's floating fine, you know, you could have a bunch of drag and your nymphs are not getting down to where they need to be. You know, I, I talk to clients, you know, especially the, as I fish more and more with really good anglers, I'm like, you know, focus on the, the current, like look in the water and see where the currents are. You know, when you're fighting a fish, you know, like if it's in a main current, it's obviously going to be pressuring you a lot harder than if it's in a, you know, a little stagnant pool or whatever. It's just, it's such a turbulent river. It's wild. And I mean, obviously you're always learning and constantly trying to evolve and grow your skill set. But how long do you think it kind of took you to really feel comfortable with the rivers that you guide on and get to feel like, you know, hey, I kind of have a, a, a firm grasp of this and feel comfortable really kind of advising my clients that, you know, hey, I, I got this. <laughs> totally. Yeah, my first, my first year, man, I thought I was like, you know, I grew up kayaking all sorts of crazy rivers and you know, raft guided a lot on, and the company I was working for, we rode a lot of boats instead of being like a paddle guide. So I was like, Oh, I'm a good rower, you know? And my first year, it was like, I was kind of not always like, not on edge, but like, you have to pay attention on this river. You're going to net a fish and you're not telling your clients like, Hey, we might bump this rock. You might bail your client out of the boat. Or, you know, I've had times even where I've tried to go net a fish and I bump a rock and the net flies out of my hand. So it probably took me a few seasons to tell you the truth to really, I mean, especially working around so many guys that have done it forever. There's just so many things going on when you're guiding kind of like a whitewater river. Um, and, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is just doing it a lot. I mean, we guide, we float all the time and we get about 120 days a year floating on our river. It's pretty good for a Western river. Yeah, for so. sure. I mean, you know, you guys have kind of a shorter season than, you know, some of the other guides that are out there. I mean, you, you mentioned kind of potentially losing your net, uh, you know, oh, when, sure. when somebody bumps a rock. What kind of, uh, you know, considerations do you make when you're looking at gear? Uh, you know, obviously you work for a fly shop, so that gives you a huge advantage. But when you're looking for gear uh, to take, you know, as a professional onto the water and, and put in the hands of less experienced anglers every day what what are some of the characteristics that you look for and kind of how do you choose that stuff yeah for sure i mean one of the big things i, I have it all the time where anglers like show up with life jackets that just i'm like man sorry but like if you fell out of the boat that might not float you that's <laughs> a big one on our river is like me and making sure you know and we're all trained and we've all been raft guides but like making sure your life jackets are tight and that you're the biggest thing too is like making sure your boat's blown up properly because you're going to be running, you know, you're not just going out on like a flat river, um, making sure your boat's popped, you know, pumped up properly and everything's just like battened down. You know, there's kind of like that rule, like rig to flip on our river. Like if you're going to flip your boat, you better have your tackle box tied in <laughs> because otherwise <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. Um, you know, I like durable gear. I was, um, you know, not to like go into the huge, like, gear review type thing sure. but like i i love a certain type of ore that is like maybe not the fanciest type of ore and a lot of guy, our guides use like more durable you know not as lightweight ore because if you're you know going down a, a rapid and all of a sudden you break your ore you're stuck with either your spare or you know that ore all day and so just like i mean i wouldn't dare rock like some of those super super lightweight 
fancy tailwater oars on this river because there's a lot of rocks, man, you know? And if you break that gear, you got to deal with it all day. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, also while trying to appease clients. So, I mean, that makes a, a huge difference. Do you feel that clients typically, you know, are hiring you partly because of your whitewater experience and because of how long you've spent navigating, you know, these kinds of rivers? Yeah, I totally think so. Um, you know, with like just even all of our guys, like to go out on this river and have a good, safe day, you need someone that's trained professionally and has rode this river a bunch. Um, you know, one of the things that I, you know, just to toot my own horn with touch, it's like I, I just know hydraulics so well from kayaking and like, you know, I've done all like play boating and getting purposely stuck in waves and holes and, and just using those currents for me. Um, understanding, you know, the water and how a boat moves and, you know, that really, really helps for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's gotta be a huge advantage in not only navigating the boat, but also like kind of being able to predict where fish are going to be just understanding what's going on underwater totally. uh, yeah, oh, is 100%. a huge advantage, right? I mean, just, just kind of being able to predict like, Hey, these are what's, this is what's going on underwater. So this is where a fish is going to be. Uh, that's a huge advantage for, for sure. Totally. Uh, you know, you've done, uh, quite a bit of travel fishing. Uh, I know you just got back from a trip to Tanzania or, or somewhere of the, the sort. Is that correct? It was Tanzania. Yep. I was in Tanzania tiger fishing. Yep. Dude. So I saw some of the images <laughs> on, on social media, wild looking creatures that you were chasing. Uh, obviously not one of, this, one of the most unique fish ever. Yeah. Sure. Not the same gear that you're fishing with. On, you know, the Arkansas in Colorado, what kind of gear are you using to, to go after those fish and what kind of took you over there? What, what, wh- why? <laughs> totally. I know it's a funny one. I feel like a lot of times people think I'm like a trustafarian or something and uh, we don't have to get into details because he probably doesn't even listen to podcasts, but I met a really good client about four or five years ago and, um, he just really enjoys traveling with um, – he, he has a couple of guides that he brings on all sorts of trips. And so, yeah, I wasn't guiding or posting or anything. I was honestly just going along with a buddy, um, and I was getting guided. It was it was pretty awesome. Rad, man, <laughs> rad. So, so yeah, what's, it, it what's the kind of gear, gear that you're using? I mean, what's the, the technique on those kinds of fish? You know, what's the general scenario and the environment? You know, kind of – give the the audience out there that aren't familiar with tiger fish uh you know what's the experience like it it's um it's intense man it's like it's not sitting in a raft on the arkansas throwing dry flies it's you know there's crocs and hippos and um (laughs) it's it's like i finally understand like it's it's hot it's as hot as africa like it's hot and you're you know what the guys are having us do is we're throwing streamers on a nine weight. I was using eight and nine weight kind of rod, either on a floating line and you're kind of just like working the banks and working structure, which that's what I enjoyed the most. Maybe not the most productive, especially for some of the like really big fish um, where you throw like a nine weight with a, a full sinking line or like, you know, sinking head. Um, and they would want us to strip the fly as fast as possible. So you'd stick the rod in your armpit and strip with two hands as gotcha. fast as you could. Yep. 
yeah so you're like i mean my first day there to tell you the truth i was like oh my god we're doing this for another six days like this is intense and and when when a fish eats like i've never caught a gt and that's what a lot of people compare it to but like the initial eat it like feels you you're stripping that fast and then hitting like a brick wall no way yeah it's 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 insane man it's out of this world <laughs> i feel so fly, like i never would have ever dreamed that i would ever go to africa and tiger fish but i you know i was in the right place and met the right person and i feel super fortunate but yeah it's it's wild i would say if if, if you're not like ready to fish all day pretty damn hard don't go tiger fishing <laughs> for, sure, for sure so you mentioned earlier that you'd been you know to other places like cuba uh, talk a little bit about that trip or, you know, multiple trips and, and some of the places that you've really enjoyed kind of outside of the normal spectrum of like the, you know, Western trout fishing. For sure. Yeah. Cuba. So I've been to Mexico, Cuba, and then New Zealand. And, um, you know, the saltwater destinations are awesome. I, I really enjoyed Cuba just because I never like, like Tanzania. I was like, never thought that I would, you know, I'd been to Mexico before, before that trip but never dreamed of going to Cuba, you know, and, and the Cuban flats are so pristine. I mean, talk about like no trash on the beaches. The Cuban guides do super well at like rotating their beats and stuff so that they're not overfishing. Like I had a day uh, baby tarpon fishing in this little lagoon and there was, you know, maybe 10 to 30 pound tarpon literally just like coming up. You could throw a popper and you're sight fishing for them right there. And we caught a, couple of fish and the guys were like all right man let's go move on to like perimeter bone fish because i want to leave these fish alone so i thought that was really really unique um just with the operations down in cuba um new zealand man that was probably even you know it was it's trout fishing but for huge browns um we did a, a heli trip which was run through slipstream angling um but my buddy richard who owns kind of like a travel consultant was fishing and he designed that trip and it was kind of for like the hardcore angler that wanted to go and, you know, trout fish as hard as he can. And we got some helicopter flights. Um, and that was just amazing. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, you travel halfway across the world to fish for the same species, but it's just completely different. I mean, the fishing style was completely different. The rivers are beautiful. The guides were top notch, you know, just like I learned so much. I, that's the other thing is like, I think one of the things that clients don't realize is like, a lot of, you know, good guides are, are paying money to get guided too, because we're always learning from other guides. I mean, it's, I just feel so fortunate um, at, at a pretty young age in my career to get to go on some of those trips because I've just learned so much um, and, and got to meet so many cool guides from so many other places in the world, you know. It's hilarious. You literally anticipated my next question. I was going to say, oh, <laughs> I was literally going to ask, like, is it difficult to to be coached because you are essentially a coach? But, you know, I mean, kind of step lock and step with others, you know, in other professions. No, I mean, the ones that teach love to learn. Uh, so totally. it's it's really cool to kind of hear that, that that there's a community of guides that are always kind of respecting each other and trying to learn and, and grow from from one another. Uh, are there any guides out there that you've just had some really incredible experiences with or that have you know taught you lessons that were particularly memorable or impactful? Oh, for sure. I mean, this is just going to come back to the Arkansas, um, but I, I float with um, 
one of our older guys. I believe he's 74 now. Oh, my gosh. I, I, yeah, no, he, he got it on the Grand Canyon for a long time, and then he's been guiding on the Ark after that. And just going out in the boat with him, you know, like I would consider myself a, a good guide on this river, and I go out with him, and I'm just like, man, you are like – I hope I'm like you in 30 years. Legend, you know what I mean? it, yeah, it, legend. You no, know, it does. It, that's what keeps me motivated. You know, he's got a wife and a house, and he lives a really awesome life, and he just loves it. And that's like the coolest thing is to meet guys that have been doing it for so long, and they're still like, you know, like he ties flies like he's like 19 years old. You know what I mean? Just like that, like fresh, driven brain. Veracity, <laughs> his like, yeah. His name is his name's Larry Fredericks. He's a legend, man. So, um that's that's the, probably the biggest one that comes up to me and he's just really taking me under his wing and like i said like you get in the boat with him and i'm like clients are so lucky to fish with you and he he he'll say the same thing to me like no they're lucky to fish with you but i'm like man i don't you know like coming from you it's like talking to michael jordan you know? yeah yeah my buddy frank and his uh father-in-law actually got to fish they were the last client that were taken by a guide that's been guiding for like 35 years on the north fork of the white river in arkansas and he was totally. like you're the last new client i'm ever going to take from now on it's only people that have been with me so like you're a part of that list so I'm going to keep awesome. guiding, but I'm never taking a new client. You're literally the last new client that gets to be a part of the club. And so I was like, I don't think Larry fishes with many new clients. You know, it's funny how that happens. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Are there any kind of bucket list trips or, or destinations that are still kind of on the, the checklist that you'd love to be able to kind of visit or, or to, you know, take advantage of at some point? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the biggest one for me, and like I said, uh, who knows if it will ever happen. It's kind of like that far off dream trip, but I would love to go fish the Seychelles. Um, I've just heard it's an amazing place. Um, you know, saltwater fishing is pretty new to me. Like I don't do it all the time and it's just so different. And, and, you know, being out on the flats and, and, you know, like there's so many species over there that I've just never caught. I mean, I've never caught a GT and then trigger fish and all sorts of the other species you they're now targeting you know the, those guys the african guides i had the same experience in um tanzania like those boys are about as good as it gets oh <laughs> you, you can't really you can't breed them tougher than than africans to tell you the truth <laughs> for sure for sure are you able to like you know kind of turn it off as a guide in the intensity when you like, can you go on like a dude's fishing trip and just like hang out and drink beers and have fun? Or is it just like, basically if you're on the water going after fish, it's full bore. Let's go for it. Hardcore. Yeah. I'd say if we're rowing down a river that has any type of like technical aspect to it, um, I can get a little bit like bossy maybe on the <laughs> rowing. <laughs> like, Hey man, like, Slow me down a little bit more. We're missing this pocket or whatever, you know. But then, like, I, I truly love to go and fish all sorts of different places. Um, you know, when I go back up to Minnesota, um, yeah, I can, like, I just don't do it as much, you know. So it's not like being on my home river. But I do have, I'm, I'm a pretty mellow person. But, um, you know, when I go on a lot of those trips, like, I'm just like, I always tell the guides, like, I know you know I'm a guide, but just pretend like I'm just a client, man, because, I'm going to learn from you and, you know, like, don't think that you can't tell me something because I'm going to listen and I'll probably learn from you. You know, that's, that's one of the coolest things. 
For sure, for sure. Are there uh, particular guides either on the oars or or just rafters that you just really kind of look up to and respect that you've just learned a ton from? For sure. Like I said, uh, pretty much all the arc anglers guides, like I said, I, I, I'm like one of, I think I am our youngest float guide and I'm 34. So that's telling you something, right? Like For sure. We don't, we don't hire like really 20 year olds because we just, you don't have enough experience. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just, like I said, guys that are doing it in their sixties and they're still running, you know, class three and four rapids and, and doing the arc every day. It's like, like I said, I, I just hope, I hope I'm doing that in 30 years, but some of the guides here, they just are addicted to, you know, rowing a boat. Um, it's pretty cool. For sure, man. And let's kind of wind down on this. I know that, you know, kind of your upbringing was on some of the, you know, kind of smaller warm water species. Uh, you're chasing like tiger fish and, you know, crazy, your, your destinations are like Seychelles and stuff like that for GTs and massive fish. Uh, you know, do you still enjoy going after kind of the, the walleye and the, the little kind of small stuff from Minnesota? Does that stuff still, you know, get the trigger running or is it basically, you know, just all the kind of bigger, crazier, more exotic stuff these days? Yeah, that's a good question. I might have to think for a second there <laughs> on that one. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you know, the, the one thing about the Arkansas that a lot of people, I mean, most people that come here have done the research, we don't have like huge, crazy fish, right? Like it's the freestone, you catch an 18 inch brown rainbow, that's a big fish on our river, right? Like um, we've, we've caught bigger, obviously, but um, I think when I go and I have free time, like I don't get it that much. I think so many people think, Oh God, they get to fish all the time. But yeah, when I, when I have time off, I'm looking to, you know, I'll go up to Minnesota in the fall and, and chase muskies. And uh, I do enjoy like, you know, as a, a trout fishing guide, you touch a lot of trout through the season, right? So it's like, <laughs> let's go target something new and, and, you know, I'll grind for a week and, and not even, you know, hook into a muskie. I might see some or miss some, but I do like, I love, chasing really hard fish it's funny i I tell clients on like hard days i'm like you know you gotta grind it out man you never know when that trip you know fish of a lifetime is gonna eat on your last cast of the day you know and when you when you target hard fish and you travel far distances you gotta work your ass off sometimes you know so i do enjoy that but i wouldn't say that i you know i still love every day going out on the arkansas just even catching some 12 to 14 inch trout. That makes my day. Especially yeah. if you're eating dry. <laughs> so, so John, let's, let's kind of wrap up on this one. Right. So one of the things that I think kind of is underrated in, you know, maybe American outdoorsmanship, I don't think the North of like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan really kind of get their due credit for what an impact they make on the outdoor scene. Um, I think that there's such a culture around the outdoors in those kind of northern states, kind of right in the middle of the Midwest, uh, just around fishing and hunting and being outside and hiking and, and portaging and canoeing and being on the water. Like there's such a culture there that I don't think really gets appreciated throughout the rest of the country. Is there a reason that those states don't really kind of carry the same street cred that maybe some of the Western states do? Because, I think that they're some of the coolest outdoor states in our union, but for some reason they just never really kind of get the same attention. Uh, but man, they, they make a big, big impact on the outdoors. Yeah. First thing I'd probably say, and it's sort of a joke is like, 
we just don't tell anyone, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, like I have, you know, I have so many buddies that, you know, they don't even fly fish. They just conventional, you know, on the lakes and they drive, you know, $40,000 boats on our huge lakes and hunt. And they like, they just, yeah, we just have, like, I miss home all the time, man. That's why I go home to smallmouth fish and see my family is because there's just, and like, especially with Colorado, there's just not as much traffic up there. You know, I think some, so many people up there are just so content with like what they have that we don't go and like brag about it really, you know, or we're like, I mean, I know like a lot of people are like, we don't really want more people up here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we just have so much. I mean, I think about that all the time when I'm, you know, I always try to plan like new rivers and new trips and I go home and I'm like, man, I haven't even touched the surface of what's just even like within an hour of my parents' house in Clear Lake, Minnesota. I mean, dude, know? some of the lake trout that I've seen these ice fishermen pulling out of these these lakes are dinosaurs. I mean, these things are enormous. Oh, for sure. And I mean, they're on these like tiny little rods, these little tiny ice fishing rods. And they're pulling yeah. these just absolute alligators out of these lakes. I It just looks so much fun. And I mean, being able to do these fish fries with walleyes, I mean, it just looks like so much fun. Uh, I, I just love the culture around the whole thing in kind of those states. I just, I wish I'd spent more time there. I wish I had a vehicle to, to kind of participate in that stuff because it just looks like an absolute blast. I love it. For sure. Someday I'll have to get you up there and, and fish just my home. I grew up right on the upper Mississippi. That's where I like, I used to walk down to the river and catch smallmouth and walleye and pike. And, you know, we've got muskies in there too. You know, I think one of the big things that's unique about like the upper Midwest is like, you know, people just love being outside. It's like they go from lake fishing into like deer hunting season into ice fishing, you know, then back into fishing and they just continue to do it. You know, like when I first moved to Colorado and people were like, let's go ice fishing. And I kind of saw what the ice fishing culture was in Colorado. I was like, this is so different than where I grew up. (laughs) (laughs) We're, we're hardy up there, man. Like my parents used to, we used to portage canoes through the boundary waters. And when I came to the West and got on a raft where you can throw like a bunch of beer and a bunch of gear and you don't have to portage. I'm like, why weren't we doing this as kids? But also it just, you know, I don't know. We're pretty, pretty tough up there (laughs) shout out to your parents they produce one hell of a fly fishing guide man you're the best dude i really appreciate you coming on the show this was a ton of fun no problem man that was awesome thanks for having me all right so one more time john tell uh everybody that's listening how to get a hold of you how to book you uh where to reach you and then also kind of where to follow you where do you kind of post stuff totally yeah um I'm on Instagram. I have like kind of a funny, it's a nickname from my kayaking days. So my Instagram handle handle is uh, Johnny Lolo 1987. Nice. Um, yep. It's uh, like, I, I'm always like, should I change it to like John Legal fly fishing? But I think I'd get so much flack from all my kayaking friends and just kind of what a lot of my friends in, in BV and Salida call me. Um, you can also contact me with Arc Anglers. Um, that's the fly shop that I work with. Um, Primarily here on the Arkansas, uh, in Sal- based in Salada and Gina Vista. And then I am also work mostly just for the salmon fly season, which is June, um, with Black Canyon Anglers out of Austin, Colorado. Um, super awesome outfit over there as well. I could do like a whole nother podcast on 
uh, the Gunnison Gorge and, and BCA. Well, dude, so. let's let's come back and do episode number two, and then episode number three, we're going to talk about running dogs uh, yeah. and that whole part of <laughs> yeah. your life because I didn't even know that was a thing. So we're going to definitely come back to that at some later date. But, uh, dude, I yeah. appreciate it, man. This was a ton of fun. I really, really enjoyed getting to know you and kind of learning more about your career. This was awesome. Of course, AJ. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Like I said, some of my favorite podcasts to listen to when I'm, you know, have a long car ride or whatever, driving to the shop are, are just other guide interviews because there's just so many unique guides out there and everybody has their story. And so, you know, the big common bond is we just, we love fly fishing and we love, you know, putting, you know, getting people into the sport too. Well, so, dude, let's give them a shout next. out. What, what podcast do you typically find those interviews on that you like to, uh, like to listen to? What other podcasts do you, do you typically tune into? Let's see. I guess the latest one I'm listening to right now, which I just found, is called um, I think it's Permit Think, and it's with Mike Dawes. He uh, he's kind of a world traveling angler, and um, he's affiliated with Worldcast Angler. Um, and, and like his podcast is cool, just because it it might not even talk about fishing that much, or just like kind of the same thing. Like, how'd you get into it? Like, what'd you do before guiding? Um, that's a good one for sure. That's rad, man. Yeah, I hope to at some point get comfortable enough with kind of the world, the lingo, and the stories that it's less interviewy and a little bit more just like screwing around, hanging around, you know, talking stories and stuff like that. I think I'll get there at some point. I don't know enough about fishing to feel like I'm kind of part of that club yet, so I totally get it. Uh, and, you know, at some point I'll have put in enough days, you know, hopefully not just that like two-day-a-year on <laughs> water with a guided guy uh you know trying to kind of cut my chops a little bit more and get some more days on the water but uh you know someday man we'll get there eventually <laughs> yeah i'll just keep fishing i always tell clients they're like you know oh i can only go this day is that good and i'm like man any day you can go fishing that's good <laughs> dude I, I i respect that about any outdoor pursuit like you can't outpace the reps you just have to do it more uh, fishing, you, it literally couldn't be truer. There's no way to kind of jump the line. You just have to do it a bunch. And it just simply teaches you the repetitions pay off. Totally. I, I, I talk about this a lot with, you know, young guides and, and just even clients. I'm like, man, the days that are the toughest for me as a guide are usually the days that I learn the most, you know? And the days that I, like, think about at night being like, oh, man, like, what could I have done different? So, they always be like, oh, I need to go on the perfect day and the perfect weather because you never know. Like, You could learn something or you could have the best day of your life. Well, and you may end up with me in your boat, which is just a dude that goes, dude, I don't care if we catch any fish. I just want to go have fun and be in your boat and have a great day and look at some really cool landscapes. And if we catch some cool fish, that's awesome. That's a bonus. But ultimately, totally. I just want to go have a good day on the water, which I would imagine is is just absolutely second nature to you, dude. So. Super fun oh, to have sure. you well, on, I man. That. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, AJ. Thanks again. And yeah, we'll have to catch up some other time and, and pick a different subject. For sure, maybe, dude. Maybe, maybe we'll turn it into a dog sledding podcast. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. That'd be awesome. I look forward to that. Hold on. I'm going to end it out. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with John Legal. I had an absolute blast getting to know John and kind of hear about his career as a fly fishing guide in the Arkansas uh, an area of the country that I'm very, very fond of and hoping maybe we end up in someday. Uh, on next week's episode, I've got Bladen Benson, owner of Descent Kings Falconry from Arizona, 
coming on to tell you all things about how to get into falconry, what uh, ethical ownership of a bird of prey looks like, and all of the things that he's been able to do in the 12 or so years that he's been handling these incredible animals. So tune in next week, and otherwise, we'll see you on the next one.